The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The bi-week review episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I've got money on the line. Sometimes I just have a feeling about a matchup. Sometimes I'm just betting on my team because they're my team. Regardless of whether you've been betting for years or placing a wager for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. With pro and college football, the MLB playoffs in full swing, and both hockey and basketball just around the corner, now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in on the action. So if you really want to support your team this year, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. And if you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. How can you beat that? Use promo code SHARE to activate the offer. That's promo code SHARE to double your cash. Start with 250 Now you're playing with 500 Throw in 500 Now you got 1000 Visit mybookie.ag today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G at mybookie. You play, you win, you get paid. My guest today, the great and powerful Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears, one of our great friends uh, that we like to have on the show from time to time. Uh, for the second year in a row, the Bears have an early bye. Uh, a year ago at this time, we were very optimistic, coming off a huge performance from Mitch Trubisky and our beloved uh, in a trashing of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year where we kind of, you know, limping into the bye. Three and two, still pretty good, but uh, lost the game. We probably should have won against the team that we were definitely better than, but had definitely had a much better day uh, than we did. But uh, Lauren and I will break down the first five weeks of the season. We'll, we'll, do an outlook on what the rest of the year could do. We also kind of go off on a little tangent talking about our fellow NFC North foes and a few other teams in the NFC the Bears might have to look out for. It basically, There wasn't anything that we didn't cover here, and we're going to dive right into it. No news and notes or anything like that. Just dive in to the bye week review with myself and Lauren Cox talking about the 2019 so far Chicago Bears. For the second year in a row, our beloved have an early bye, although this year it's it couldn't come at a better time. Last year it kind of seemed to stop the momentum that our beloved were carrying into the bye. And, of course, last year we're coming off a huge 48-10 to 10 stomping of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Mitch Trubisky revelation uh, game and everything. Very different experience going into the bye this year. We're banged up. We've got injuries. We're not playing very well. Mitch Trubisky is on the mend Chase Daniel was the savior, and then he wasn't. We're three and two going into the bye, and there's not the same level of optimism that there was a year ago at this time. And here to, to help me analyze what's gone down the first five weeks with our beloved Chicago Bears from the Locked On Bears podcast and all the other various things he has on his resume, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, man. Hey, it's an annual tradition I look forward to every year. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I kind of liked it better when we were doing like the week nine by, so we had half the season uh, to go over. I mean, I know five games is a pretty decent sample size, but uh, 
there I mean I just I don't feel like this team has figured itself out quite yet so the as far as our injuries are concerned now is it definitely a good time for the bye but as far as the the team discovering its own identity they still need a few weeks to figure that out yeah and with those injuries it almost it, it even shortens the sample size even more like right. we could be talking about Mitchell Trubisky and what we've seen from him so far this season, but it's only been what three games, uh, well, and then a little bit of the the Vikings game there. Right. So you know we don't even have enough of like a sample size of what he's going to be this season. And, and then Chase Daniel kind of in his spot and wide receivers. You know we only saw half of Taylor Gabriel and then half of like Anthony Miller. So like a lot of these guys that you know have only played you know three or two two or three really full games at some of these key positions leave us sort of still wondering what's to come. Yeah, it's it's been it's been tough to uh to to watch this year. I mean, you and I we've been talking about it since last year that 2019 was really the year that we were excited about the whole year too in the Nagy system. Everyone's played together the whole off season. Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith aren't cold off the street week 1 uh and all that kind of stuff and we're just waiting for it all to come together and we're still waiting for it to all come together. I mean, it all started week one when all that anticipation led us into that first game of the year, Thursday night football, the you know the kickoff games of the 100 seasons of uh, pro football to Bears football, home against Green Bay, and the defense was outstanding. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. We sacked Rodgers five times, held him to 47 yards rushing, 10 points on the night, and we freaking lost, Lauren. How did that happen? <laughs> well, you know, three points is not a lot in no. an NFL football game, and it, it made it almost harken back to like the the Philadelphia Eagles game a little bit, where it's like the defense did their job, and the Bears' offense had some of those flashes. They had some drives in there, and it, but it was sort of like feeling like left where you kind of left off from the year before. It was a big game from Allen Robinson, Mitchell Trubisky making some nice throws, and maybe getting away with a few here and there that. He shouldn't have, but yeah. still more than enough opportunities for the team to win the game. And, and when it was all said and done, they just couldn't finish it out. They couldn't finish drives in the end zone. They couldn't sustain success. And the defense can only hold Aaron Rodgers so far down. And when the offense just doesn't put any points on the board, boy, it was it was turned out to be the start of a, a season long trend so far. So far, yeah. I mean, and and the 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 one trend that reared its ugly head pretty much from the beginning and has been the one consistent thing with our offense I mean I know we have plenty of issues to go over with on the offensive side but the offensive line was a problem throughout that game and 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 you know the sample size being what it was just that first game it was boy Green Bay is stellar on defense but as we look you know four weeks later yes they performed well they're four and one they're a good football team they're a much better defense than they were a year ago but they weren't the brick wall that we kept running into that first Thursday night game they were getting run I mean people run the football at will uh, against the Green Bay Packers now and we had nothing against them yeah and as bad as the Bears offensive line was in that game and has been this season it almost does feel like that was maybe at least in terms of pass protection the the worst we've seen them that they have oh yeah at least sure. steadily gotten better in terms of the pressure that's been on the quarterback and maybe some of that has been Matt Nagy having both Mitchell Trubisky and Chase Daniel get rid of the ball a little bit more quickly. But I, but I do think the communication has been 
a little bit better on the offensive line. So, you know, against the Green Bay, it was stunt after stunt was looping guys in for free runs at the quarterback, and they just weren't able to pass blocks off. And communication is still, I think, a work in progress on this offensive line, but I don't think it has been as catastrophically bad in pass protection. Quarterbacks have had a little bit more time. Maybe defenses haven't quite attacked them in the same way Green Bay did, but I think even though the offensive line isn't where it needs to be, from week one, there has been improvement, which is not nothing. I agree, but... I feel more like the the offensive line, like the run game has been consistently terrible as far as the blocking and just the overall execution mm-hmm. of it. But the pass blocking has been a has been alternating. Awesome, horrible. Awesome, horrible because we were terrible against Green Bay, fantastic against Denver because we shut down Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, they were non-existent in that football game despite all of our other struggles. On offense, the one thing we didn't have to worry about was Mitch being under fire the entire football game. Actually, you know, I think the only time that Bradley Chubb got to Mitch was when he got when when the referees got that that terrible uh, pass uh, roughing the passer call that gave us a free fifteen yards on the game winning drive. But it's like they were stellar against the Broncos. They started off weak against the Redskins. I mean, there were nobodies that were just plowing right through the line, getting to Mitch at the start of that football game. Then Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin week four were awesome. Chase Daniels cleaned the whole football game. And then this past Sunday against the, uh, against the Raiders, for the most part, pass blocking was an issue again because Mitch, uh, Mitch uh, Chase is under fire. He's got to run. He's got to move and, and things like that. So it's just like they've been alternating week in and week out when they're going to block well and, and who they're going to block well against. And the funny thing is they block awesome against the better pass rushers and then against the mediocre to middling guys, that's who we struggle with. It's been really hard to pin down yeah. any consistent reason or, or factor behind the offensive line play. I mean, Kyle Wong ha- has struggled quite a bit one-on-one, but it, it hasn't been just all him. Like some games, Charles Leno, I mean, obviously his penalties have been consistent throughout the season. But in terms of his blocking, some games he's been more consistent and other games it just kind of drops off. And, you know, James Daniels had struggled early on and, and seems to be kind of getting better and Bobby Massey kind of has his ups and downs. So it's not like you're just like, oh, there's this turnstile at left tackle. And if you could just replace him, this offensive line would be fine. It's like it's always something a little bit different. It's always coming from a little bit of a different place. And defenses are doing different things. And it's not like there's just some secret formula that this team can't figure out. It's just it's a weird mix of all the same guys from last year not playing at the same level as last year. And, And I don't envy this coaching staff trying to figure out what they can do to fix things at the bye week. Yeah, it's I mean and 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 what you just described is what makes it so frustrating. It's not the same problem that can be fixed or analyzed or you know tweaked or or whatever to to improve. It is the same five guys from last year. Now granted we've got a swap between Whitehair and and Daniels uh you know swapping positions there but you know it just like you said, Matt, it's Massey this week. This week it's long. This week it's, you know, Daniel struggled again mightily against Green Bay. He was terrible uh, against Green Bay. Leno with the holding penalties, but other, otherwise he's a pretty solid guy. It, it's just like like you said, it's it's it. You can't pin down the one problem that we're having. And I think the only thing that most people can agree on is that the weak link throughout the first five weeks has been Kyle Long. Yeah, and I'm, you know, it, it's hard because. He's the veteran, and he's the leader, yeah. and he's beloved. He's a, you know he's just a, he's a great guy and a, and a football player that you you kind of look up to. And the younger players, he's a know. bear, man. 
He's he, a bear. He's a through and through Chicago Bear. He Absolutely. took a pay cut this offseason to keep playing with the team. But, you know, it, you wonder if as the season goes on and if this hip is bothering him a little bit and if he's not healthy and you've got Ted Larson who played pretty well in his place when, when Long was injured and even a guy like Alex Bars on the practice squad that everybody's pretty excited about. You know, it's it's a tough spot. And Matt Nagy said this week that they're not going to make any changes uh, in terms of the starting lineup on the offensive line during the bye week. But it just it's it, it's iffy when you feel like he might be holding you back a little bit. But he, he kind of deserves at least the, this last season to kind of write it out as a Chicago Bears starter. And then when his contract's easy to get out of next year, then you start making some changes. Well, let me ask you, what do you think it is? Uh, I mean, do you think it's just. You know, the injuries have caught up with him or he's injured now and he's trying to play through it. I think a lot of it looks mental at times. Like really? it's not just okay. I mean, it, it's I mean, I think injury is some of it. He doesn't move as fluidly as he used to. And it's, it's a little bit more stiff. It's a little bit like less natural movement. But it's like sometimes it's just a stunt where he needs to be able to pass it off to Bobby Massey and pick up the guy going inside. And he's just not seeing it. And it's just not feeling right for him. Or sometimes they're working on double teams in the running game and he's just not able to get off of it and get to the second level. And and he hasn't ever been like a master technician on the offensive line. He's always been a, a strength and a speed kind of guy that yeah. can just be more physically dominant than the player he's going against. So he's never been like this master always in the right place at the right time thing. But I think maybe as he's gotten a little bit older, maybe he's lost a little bit of that. And and as the injuries have piled up, he's maybe lost a little bit of that. And then maybe some of the other deficiencies in, in technique and, and focus sometimes are a little bit harder to cover up and make up for with his physical traits. So I think it's, it's not, never going to be one clear thing. And I, I think it's sort of a mix of all of the above. Yeah. Cause I was on, on Twitter earlier today and, um, Olin Krutz, one of my favorite Bears of all time, was adamantly defending the offensive line. Not saying that they weren't the problem, but more so saying that they weren't the only uh, problem. He's trying to put it on the entire uh, offense. And, and, and really, I didn't know whether or not he was trying to be fair or if he was just protecting his guys. You know, as, as a fellow offensive lineman, he knows and we don't kind of thing. And I really couldn't see where get where he was coming from with his with his arguments because he answered several like, uh, you know, responses and stuff to his like his original tweet. He was literally going to bat for everybody that, uh, you know, on the offensive line, putting it like, you know, it's on the quarterback, the running backs and do this and the tight ends. And if not for Allen Robinson, you put on the receivers, too, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I really couldn't gauge if it was just offensive line bias or if it was, you know, just as an analyst, that's what he sees. And he has the he has the knowledge that many of us don't have. Yeah. And I I've heard him on other interviews been he's been critical of the offensive line and, and Kyle Long in particular. He's he is kind of I don't want to say like directly called out because he's not like, you know, adding him on Twitter. But he has said, you know, Kyle Long by name in interviews that he is not playing very well and needs to play better. So, I you know, I, I acknowledge, you know, I give. I give Olin Cruz credit there for he's not absolving the offensive line of blame, but I think right. his point is that even if the offensive line was perfect or you know as good as last year, this offense still has a lot of other problems outside of that, and and I agree with him 100%. I do think the offensive line is the biggest of the problems, sure. but it, but it is far from the 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 one solution the Bears need to fix. I mean, and the tight ends in particular, you know, you have five of them on the roster right now, and you're not getting 
any production really yeah. from any of them, not anything notable. And he's right, you know, outside of Allen Robinson, wide receivers haven't done a whole lot for you. I, I the one place I really disagree with him is on the running backs. I do think I think the running backs are doing a lot with what they're given. I mean, maybe that they're not doing a lot, but they're doing as much as they can with the lack of space that they're getting. He he disagrees with the idea that they're being met at, in the backfield in the line of scrimmage all that often. And I think the data pretty well backs that up where oh, first contact is made with sure. these running backs. It's it's not very far downfield. Like could could these running backs squeeze more yards than they're getting? Probably, but it's not the running backs' fault that they're averaging three year less yards per carry. Yeah, I um um I, do you follow Brett Coleman on Twitter? I do, yes. Yes, and one of my favorite tweets of the year thus far, and I've mentioned it a few times on the show, was during the Washington game. He was he was watching the Monday Nighter, and he tweeted out that uh, David Montgomery has some of the most amazing, breathtaking three-yard runs in NFL history <laughs> because the kid puts like 50 yards worth of effort into three yards because he is being met at the line of scrimmage. He's not getting through. Uh, to the second level, and I've stated many times that I think Montgomery is a superstar in waiting. If we could just get him to the second level, that's where he's going to perform magic. You know, he's not Gale Sayers with the whole 18 inches of daylight thing. He needs a hole to get through, and when he gets to the second level, he's going to make linebackers miss, and he's going to break tackles in the third level, and that's where he's going to make things happen. We just can't get him out there. Yeah, and I think... You know, you can you can describe you know Tariq Cohen's explosiveness in, in a slightly similar way if he just has a little bit more space to be able to wiggle. But I'm with you 100% on David Montgomery that he is forcing a lot of missed tackles and he is creating yards after contact, mm-hmm. and that's that's really all the, a running back can do, right? I mean, he he has to take what the offensive line can give him and then create as much as he can for himself, and it it feels like he's creating a decent amount for himself. He isn't just going down the first time one player gets through and tackles yeah. him. You know, he's he'll make two guys miss and then pick up 3 yards total. And it's like I don't know how much more especially for a rookie you can ask of. So that's why I feel like I don't know how much blame I put on the the, the running backs, but I think, you know, offensive line, quarterback, most of the wide receivers and tight ends. Yeah, I think Olin's got a good point there. Yeah, I mean, it, there is plenty of blame to go around if you want to use such a word, but it's just that you know, I, I sit there and, and I watch Montgomery and the the whole narrative this week, especially because Jordan's Howard put has put back to back decent games together for the Eagles. Now, all of a sudden, people are regretting the Jordan Howard trade. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> I mean, I said this preseason game one against the Carolina Panthers, that touchdown that Montgomery scored where it was probably supposed to go to the right side. He breaks it out to the left and he scores the touchdown It's like if that's Jordan Howard, Jordan Howard buries his head into the back of an offensive lineman and tries to run through that as opposed to trying to create something like Montgomery just did. David Montgomery's got a fight in him that that Jordan Howard doesn't have. Like you said, he's fighting, he's scratching, he's clawing, he's breaking tackles, he's making people miss, but he's only able to come up with three yards. With Jordan Howard, we're getting to the line of scrimmage, running into that brick wall of humanity, and that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Like If Jordan Howard was still in this offense right now, your your rush your yards per carry isn't going to be much different or perhaps even a little bit worse than than what they've seen right now because as much as you know Montgomery needs some help from his offensive line Jordan Howard needs maybe a little bit more help from his offensive line maybe he can he can you know get a little bit more of those yards during contact and he's got a couple of guys hanging off of him a little bit but that's not that's not the difference I think in this offense at this point and eventually 
once Matt Nagy remembers to use David Montgomery in the passing game, then we'll really see the difference. But that's that's been one of the most frustrating things is that both of these running backs haven't really been used effectively in the passing game to get the mismatches against linebackers and safeties that we're sort of waiting for. You know, that was the whole reason you traded Jordan Howard is to get running backs more involved in the passing game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also to, so that we wouldn't be tipping our hand as to what we were doing, because if Jordan Howard's in the game, that's more likely than not that we're running the football. If it's Tariq Cohen that's back there, we're probably going to uh, throw the ball. With David Montgomery, if he can do both, that's going to keep the defense guessing a little bit. Yeah, and that that should be – you would think that would be like sort of the day one stuff, but I also get it from maybe Matt Nagy's perspective of not wanting to put too much on David Montgomery and saying – First, let's get him going in the running game, make sure he's comfortable with all of those play calls and, and where he has to be in each of those plays and running from under center and shotgun and different sides and different adjustments and different calls that we're going to make off those and then slowly work him more and more into the passing game. But at the same time, like week one against Green Bay, there was that big wheel route out of the backfield that Montgomery yeah. ran up the left seam and Trubisky hit him and it was a beautiful, like, I don't remember how many yards, 17 or 20-something yards. And it was like, that's the vertical receiving threat from the running back position that we've been missing. So if you can sneak that in week one in Green Bay, it's it, was, it seemed like, oh, door's open, let's go. And we've got David Montgomery with like, what, seven catches for 50 yards this season. I mean, it's been almost nothing. And he got most of them on that catch, too. because it, like <laughs> yeah. it was like a 27-yard play. It was a huge, huge play, I remember. Isn't that the one where Matt Nagy went on for it on fourth and 10 or something like that? Was that, that, sounds, that drive? That sounds familiar. It wasn't that, that play wasn't the fourth down play. But no, it, was, it wasn't. But I, was it, I, think if, I don't know if that was the drive. Or if that was the field goal drive, one of the two. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it, it just, uh, yeah, Green Bay, that game still pisses me off. I cannot believe we waited eight months almost to the day for that. That's what we waited for. <laughs> eight, eight months, you know, since the double doink. And that's what, we, that's what we've been waiting for. You know, it's like there's nothing worse, nothing worse than being on the wrong end of I told you so, man. There is nothing worse. And for eight months, we're talking like we're going to kill Green Bay. We're going to. You know, week one, this is the start of it all. You know, the road to Miami starts here. Yeah, probably not so much at, uh, least, at this point. At least in that week one game, it wasn't like Aaron Rodgers went here. I oh, mean, Aaron Rodgers looked yeah. bad for a lot of that game. So it, it was a little bit easier to sit on feeling like, well, it wasn't just the typical Aaron Rodgers does his stuff. It was felt more like, oh, the Bears beat the Bears. And it's better than being beaten badly by the Packers. True, true, especially to start off the start off the year. Well, actually, let's let's uh, let's go off on a tangent here real quick. I I saw a stat on on Twitter uh, today that basically in the Matt Nagy era, all twenty two games of it, we have not lost a game by more than a touchdown. And it is my favorite and my least favorite thing about the Matt Nagy era. And here's here's the the six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. On one hand. It's outstanding because we are absolutely in every game, a luxury we did not have under Fox, Tressman, and hell, even at times with Lovey. But it's the most painful thing because when we actually do lose, they tend to sting a bit more because it's always like one or two plays that would have sent it in our direction for the victory. The Miami game last year with Parkey missing the field goal in overtime, Kyle Fuller dropping the game-winning interception week one against Green Bay, uh, last year, things like that. So it's like one one thing, and either one of those plays going in our direction changes the playoffs. We're the we're the bye week team. We don't have to play Philly week one on the wild card or anything like that. So I mean, it, it's things like that 
that you know you you feel really great because you're in it till the very end. You're competitive. You have a chance to win every game. And on the other hand, those losses really, really sting because it's usually one or two plays that kept that from happening. Yeah, and it's it's it is tough, right? I mean, it's hard to it's hard to get like a good sense of whether or not that type of you know close loss if that's endearing to the players or if it's the kind of thing that over time can get frustrating. But I, you know, I think it's a good thing to remember that there've only been six of those in, in yeah. the Matt Nagy era. It's, yeah, you know, six losses to fifteen wins. So this isn't necessarily a team that's had to deal with a lot of that kind of adversity. And and so it's, to some extent, it, it might be good that. In both of these seasons, they've the, the struggles have happened early on for the most part. I mean, last year they started what three and three before winning five nine out of their row. last yeah. ten and yeah. five in a row to start after that bye week. And now, you know, to start this season three and two and, and really a disappointing three and two. And yeah. it's kind of a, a good spot to be disappointing in. You know, it's not like you're one and four and like holy crap, the whole world's falling. You're still right there in the NFC North, right in there in the playoff contention. And, you know, well above 500, and yet you haven't played anywhere close to your best football this season. I mean, yeah. last season was sort of the the evidence that things should get better from here and that good, better football is in front of them. And to still be in a pretty darn decent spot before you've even gotten close to your peak, it's a, it's a sign that, you know, as, as frustrating as Matt Nagy's coaching has been at times when you feel like he's, you know, missing things here and there, and you, you, you see the potential for everything to come together. There's still a lot to be said about how good of a position this team is in, especially like you said, comparing it to previous regimes. We, we've certainly raised the bar for what frustrating coaching is, because I think it, it, Matt Nagy pales in comparison to, you know, the Trestmans and the and the John Foxes of what was frustrating with them. Now mm. we're we're a little bit spoiled with all of yeah. the things we might take for granted from Matt Nagy. Yeah, spoiled is definitely a great word because to hear the way or read the way more and more times than not that people complain uh, about this team, you know, you 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 have to constantly remind them that we are three and two, that we have been in every ball game. If we get one bounce this way, one bounce that way, we're five and zero, oh, or you know that kind of thing. If that Kevin Pierre, how do you feel about that Kevin Pierre Lewis call, man? How did you feel about that one? Because I don't feel like he ran into the kicker. You know, I feel like he he basically landed in his feet and the kicker fell on top of him. It was he didn't take the kicker out or the punter, I should say. Yeah, the and the rules, you know, the, the punter has to have space to come down and so I mean I but I also feel like he was kind of pushed too and and some people, you know, some people were kind of quick to blame you know, Matt Nagy and the special teams coordinator, Chris Tabor, for even having your guys rush at that point because of the the score situation that the Raiders needed a touchdown and they were already punting and, and giving it back. And you were in a, a pretty good situation where if you just didn't rush the punt at all and just received it and let it continue, you know, just get the ball and kind of run out the clock a little bit, all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, the game pretty well in the bag, at least. I think there was what six minutes left or so yeah. in in the game. So I mean, is the, there was a chance you'd you'd go three and out and punt again and give it back to the Raiders. But regardless, you know, I I don't I'm not I'm, I, it's easy to second guess those decisions because if Kevin Pierre Lewis gets through and blocks the punt, no one's no one's gonna say, oh well, they shouldn't have even risked trying to block the punt. So yeah, I didn't feel great about the the, the flag on that one. It felt kind of ticky tacky. But at the same time. 
that that penalty happened at the Raiders' 22-yard line. So they got the ball back at the 27 and still had 73 yards to go to get to the end zone. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't like the penalty gifted the Raiders the ball at the goal line and let them walk in for a score. There was still a lot of defense that had to fail before that too. So I, I don't get too bogged down on that one play necessarily uh, doing the Bears in. Yeah, yeah. It's just um... – you know, it, it, I did feel like it was – I mean, I know that we're biased as hell, especially in, in this particular instance, but I I thought that was pretty ticky-tack. He didn't take the runner out. You know, he kind of just landed at the guy's feet and the punter fell on top of him uh, kind of thing. I just – I didn't feel like it was a penalty at all. Like, I thought the conference was about whether or not they should pick up the flag, not whether or not it was running into the kicker or roughing mm-hmm. the kicker. You know, it was like they're not talking about roughing or running into – they're talking about whether or not they should pick up the flag because that's – I don't see a penalty here. I really, really don't. And turns out they probably were talking about whether it's roughing or running into the kicker, and they only saddled us with the five-yarder. So, well, And, and the, other, the other side of that was the five-yarder wasn't even an automatic first down. It was no. still fourth and one. And yeah. The Bears I, – like I would be more critical of why didn't you stop them on the fake punt that you saw coming and were sort of prepared for and still didn't stop them from getting that yard as opposed to the – why Why was Kevin Pierre-Lewis that close to the punter in that situation? And it, it, but it's all kind of, again, tic-tac, or nick-nack, you know, all ticky-tacky and all those little things because they still had to go 73 more yards. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I feel like the, the Raiders game was kind of like a, a microcosm of, this, of the season itself. The defense had its one bad day so far this year because they've been – the best in the NFL. I don't care what anybody's saying about the Patriots. They've played nobody in the first four or five games so far this year. So, of course, as talented as they are, and they've got the greatest coach of all time leading them, they're going to smash anyone they go up against. They haven't really played anyone except for Buffalo at this point. But, you know, like the way the Bears played, you know, they the, we should have won. Anytime you sack Rodgers five times and hold him to ten points, you should win running away. Every single time. And that's what made that game so frustrating is that the effort was wasted. Then week two, we come out, the defense, ha- you know, they had a bad quarter where they finally ran out of gas against the the Broncos there at the end of the football game. But Mitch and his late game heroics saved uh, the game. And then obviously Eddie Pinero, we discovered what it's like to have a kicker come through for us. Then the, the, the Washington game, I almost feel like, is strangely enough, I think that's the best game we've played. Like, as far as complete top to bottom, our offense scored points. The defense generated turnovers, scored some points of their own, even though it felt like towards the end we were going to let Washington back in it again. Then our most dominant performance, I feel like, was against the Vikings, where we completely shut them down. And, you know, Chase Daniel had to come out and be the hero uh, for Mitch when he got injured and then yesterday like I feel like it was a perfect storm of of everything the defense had its moments but had a bad day the offense stepped up but not quite enough or at least not when we needed them to so I mean overall it was just it was disappointing just like most of the season has been most of the time yeah and I think this is sort of where Matt Nagy comes from when he he's not panicking and he's not he's kind of preaching patience in the sense that like it's not always exactly the same thing that goes wrong and some of that's just been because of injuries and having different guys in there but it's not like it's been five straight games where purely 
you know, interceptions for, you know, just pick, pick a factor. Interceptions have been the problem and the team just can't stop turning the ball over. And if, if they could just stop turning the ball over, they would win, but you're not sure that they're ever going to be able to do that. Or, you know, maybe it's the defense just can't stop anybody for five straight games. And you're like, oh man, how is this problem going to go away? But it feels like it's been, you know, there, there've been problems that are the same throughout games, but it, the, the same reason they've lost their, the two losses haven't been the same. And the same reasons they've struggled in some of their games haven't been exactly the same, right? It's, it's sort of like, you know, some games like Chase Daniel was, was particularly slinging it against the Vikings and having a pretty strong game. And, and certainly against the Redskins in particular against that defense, you know, you've seen the quarterback play happen pretty well. You haven't quite seen the running game where you want it to be, but there haven't been a lot of games where, oh, the Bears the Bears lost or the Bears offense wasn't where it needed to be because of the running game. And like in Oakland, the offense does the 21-point the comeback. It was going to be the biggest comeback since the, the Dennis Green, they are who we thought they are game against the Cardinals. But then all of a sudden the defense fails, right? It's, so it's like the offense got its stuff together in the third quarter against the Raiders. And it was like, oh, here, here's this Bears team. But then all of a sudden the defense can't fall off, right? So it's it's been a little different ways of of struggling in in and it's not like it's the same thing over and over again so i can see where matt nagy might say we're so close we've got the pieces to happen at different times if we can just do it all together sort of heal up a little bit refocus and, and get things back on track it's all there and it just needs to all happen at the same time and with the three games we have coming up after the bye hopefully it gets here sooner rather than later <laughs> that's for sure you know we got uh we got New Orleans coming out of the bye, which was going to be a tough game, no matter despite no matter how we were playing going into the bye, that was going to be a tough one. Then apparently Drew Brees is a medical wonder who's probably going to play against the Bears because he's already throwing passes with that busted thumb, uh, you know, in practice. Or I don't know if he's practicing yet, but you know. But despite that, Teddy Bridgewater has been very good for them. They're four and one uh, right now. The week after that, we have the Chargers, who, who right now looks like the easiest of the three games we have ahead because they're struggling at the moment. I mean, they're like missed field goal away from being 0-5 right now because – or what, 1-4 because they played Indianapolis week one and Vinatieri missed like two field goals that would have won them the game. Like either one of those one field goals would have won the game for them in regulation and they beat the Chargers. The Chargers are – you know, a bounce away from being one and four right now. But then we got Philadelphia in Philly, and I'm not looking forward to that one at all. Yeah, that one's going to be uh, loud and a lot of, a lot on, on the line there, right? Because the Eagles, too, are one of those teams that have had their ups and downs. And, you know, even though they're sitting at, at three and two, much like the Bears, you know, they, they, they struggled with and lost to Atlanta and Detroit. But then, you know, they come out and beat Green Bay, and, and you're like, well, wait a minute, is – we don't know if the Eagles are any good, and maybe by the time we get to that Bears-Eagles game, we'll know because the Eagles have Minnesota, Dallas, and Buffalo leading up to Chicago, so they should be fairly beaten up and, and fairly tested before they host the Bears, and then the Eagles have their bye week after that, so maybe they'll be looking ahead a little bit too, but that'll be that'll be a fun matchup for, for so many reasons, even beyond just the, the football. Yeah, yeah, but those are the three games that will put an end to the first half, the first eight games. Uh, of the season and and it's like that that Philadelphia game is I think you know will will help us learn where we actually stand in the NFC I mean we'll learn a lot when we play the Saints but we're coming off the bye week maybe it's Breeze maybe it isn't so we're not getting the best of New Orleans even though they've been pretty good without him 
uh, uh, kind of thing. I think Philly is is the one, especially since that's the road game. Because if you if the Bears beat the Saints, everyone would kind of lean on the fact, well, it was a road game. The Bears are great at home, um, you know that kind of thing. But the road game at Philly, if we can win, if we can beat Philly in Philly, that would be a hell of a thing. And, and that would carry, I think, the most meaning for this yeah, Bears team, right? Absolutely. I mean, there shouldn't be any shortage of motivation going into that one, any shortage of storylines and pressure and all that. That Yes, the, the Saints, there's, it's Ryan Pace's former team, and the Saints are going to be a playoff contender, and it's important. But it's, it's not, it doesn't carry that same weight. And, and like you said with the Chargers, they're just – they're they're not even as good as perhaps they they even have looked at this point. But boy, at Philadelphia, it's like outside of Green Bay in Week One, it's the first game with with real stakes at this point this season. None of the other ones. I know like Vic Fangio in, in Denver and some of that connection there, but like Eagles means something. That's gonna feel like a playoff game, and especially yeah. depending on how the rest of the Eagles season goes, that'll be a really big test in terms of you know, environment and in terms of that playoff atmosphere that even if the Saints are also a playoff team, you know, like you said, whether it's an injured breeze or it's it's Bridgewater, it won't quite be the playoff New Orleans Saints. Right. But the Philadelphia Eagles, they will be battle tested. The Bears will have some of those battles underneath their, you know, belt and their resume there too. And Bears Eagles week nine, that's I, I it really will be, I think, the first like playoff style game of the season for the Bears. Yeah, and that's that's the one of the three that I'm looking forward to uh, the most and also dreading the most at yeah. the same time. I mean, we just talked a moment ago about the, you know, the, the, the margin of victory in the Nagy era or the margin of loss, I should say, being so tight. Um, I feel like that could be the game where that one gets tossed out for the first time. So I don't know. That's, that's the, that's where the, that's how the Eagles scare me as far as what they're capable of, but they've been very um, schizophrenic so far. <laughs> this year you know they have that dominant game on the road against green bay on short notice thursday night football the whole deal but they can't beat the lions uh at home they struggle against the falcon they are the one victory the falcons have this year and they've been terrible against literally everyone else i mean the texans damn near broke the scoreboard on them uh this weekend 53 points the texans put on them i mean when you score 32 you're supposed to win nine out of ten games, and this was game number ten where they gave up fifty three in, you know, in, instead of <laughs> on top of the thirty two, they scored themselves. So I mean, the the Eagles are a hard team to gauge, but we know how talented they are. Yeah, and it it, it really will be a nice barometer from last season's team. Like I mean, like we know right now that the Bears are not as good as they were last year. But, right. you know, and obviously it's a different Eagles team and it's a different Bears team, but sort of like it'll be that real direct measuring stick of like even for the Bears defense, how they do against Philadelphia this time around compared to last time around, how assuming Mitchell Trubisky is, should, should be back and, and ready for that game. You know, if he's able to, you know, sort of step in and pick up where he left off in that Eagles game or if he's still going to sort of be the – the, the more inconsistent Mitchell Trubisky that we had to start this season. I'm really curious to see sort of how they stack up against that Eagles team, especially because there's, there's some even bigger games later on in that schedule. Uh, yeah. Like the two that follow it, we got Detroit and then Sunday night football at the Rams. So, I mean, there's, there's no room for breathing here coming out of the, uh, coming out of the bye week I mean, I think maybe the, after the Rams, we finally get the giants, but you know, or something. I think it's the Giants, but still, I mean, it's it's going to be a mess going down the road. It's like people are not kidding when they say the Bears have the toughest schedule down the stretch. 
and and Detroit all of a sudden becomes, I, I think, a little bit of a t- you know usually you kind of write off Detroit a little bit that yeah you know, maybe they'll get one maybe but for the most part you can feel pretty good about t- playing Detroit twice a year but they almost beat the Chiefs before their bye week and they yeah. beat the Eagles and they beat the Chargers but they also tied the Cardinals in week one but it seems like they've they've gotten a lot better they're, they're still sort of the sloppier style of Lions, but the, and the Chiefs kind of played them sloppy, but I think that's sort of that what they get other teams into. That when the, if you come and play the Detroit Lions, there's always going to be just a little bit of that that funkiness to the game, and even though they're 2-1-1, and I'm curious to see how they stack up with Green Bay and Minnesota in their next two games. You know, that'll be a little bit before they play the Bears, but as of right now, I'm, I've got my eye on Detroit as a, a little bit scarier than than maybe we first thought. I'm definitely intrigued, especially after that uh, that Kansas City game. I watched the majority uh, of that game because that was the lead-in to the Bears and the and the Vikings uh, last weekend. So, you know, I got to watch a good chunk of it, and I was impressed with how they handled Kansas City, especially with the way Kansas City had been handling everybody else going into that game. Yeah, and, if, you know, as much as you get some of those classic Detroit moments. I mean, they still held down Patrick Mahomes. I mean, yes, he, he's the, the Raiders scored 34 points, but no touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. They had uh, three three touchdowns on the ground, and I want to say there was a, a defensive touchdown or, or something else in there. I don't remember exactly where it came. I think it was a fumble recovery. It was all, one like, of the, the weirdest touchdowns I've seen, man. And it was a – here it was. The Lions got the ball to the goal line. And the running back decides that at the last moment he's going to tr- he's he's on his back, he's going to try and stretch the ball over the over the goal line, and before he can, the ball fouls out of his hands. The chief picks it up, goes the length of the field. With only one person tried to tackle him because they thought the ball was dead. The referees <laughs> he- didn't the referees didn't blow a whistle. They didn't you know they let the play play out. So the guy after he gets past the first blocker or the first defender goes literally a hundred yards down the down the middle of the field for a touchdown and then they review it and then of course you've got 10 guys in blue uniforms feeling like idiots because they did nothing to stop him from scoring that touchdown and even in spite of that you know that that kind of thing can be demoralizing for a team especially any kind of defensive touchdown but that kind especially yeah and yet 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 Detroit goes and takes the lead with two minutes and 30 seconds left you know Matthew Stafford leads that fourth quarter drive and gives them the lead and then it was just sort of give it to Patrick Mahomes with a little over two minutes left and he, he Patrick Mahomes is still a very very good quarterback and you know was able to get him down to the goal line and score with 23 seconds left but it's like Detroit was right in there against one of the best teams in the NFL and that's their only true loss of the season so they're 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 a real they're real something to mess with here we'll see if they can hold on to it and and sort of maintain this for very long because the track record for Matt Patricia at this point a very short track record, but not one that inspires a ton of confidence for long-term success there. But they figured something out, and they're clearly a step forward from where they were last year and haven't been able to quite say that about the Bears. Right. I mean, and when that's the other thing about the the Lions, though, is that you can you can be impressed, and I am. You can keep an eye on them like you and I say we're going to. But at the same time, around the same time last year, they were on Sunday Night Football and kicked the crap out of New England Patriots on national television only to finish the season the way that they did and of course the Patriots ended up doing what they did so is this one of those you know they played out of their minds for one game against one of the league's best and you know outperformed themselves or was this a true mark of the team that they're going to be this year that's what that's the wait and see 
with the Lions is that, you know, we've seen them do this before. They've seen, they won against somebody they had no business beating, losing the games they're supposed to win, and then, you know, the season unfolds the way it usually does. That's the wait and see with the Lions this year. And I think that's the difference between, like, well-coached teams and the Lions <laughs> is that, <laughs> you know, like, Detroit will win a game that they're not supposed to and then – won't be able to sustain it. But like you think back to the Bears last year, for example, and like they beat the Rams in week 14 in the game that, you know, maybe they weren't supposed to win it and, and not quite in, in such an ugly fashion. The, the Rams were what, like 11 and one or 11 yeah, and two going like into that, that yeah. game. They were, I mean, they were one of the hottest teams in the NFL and just not that far removed from their bye week. The Bears beat the Rams and kind of keep going and keep sort of proving that they were a legitimate contender. You know, they beat the Packers, the 49ers and the Vikings to finish out that season and, and go to the playoffs and, and finish 12 and four, you know, far above where anybody had projected them last season. So, you know, I think that those, that's sort of one of those culture and coaching things that sort of shows, you know, based on results that this was a team that, that was legitimate in their success last year, the bears, whereas the lions in that win over the Patriots, it wasn't, it wasn't a sustainable, level that they had reached it was more of a, a everything going right and like yeah. you said we're, we're trying to figure out if if that is the case for the lions again this year or yeah. if maybe they're they are legit yeah did they peak like they did against new england last year and then they're just playing out the string afterwards or are they a legit threat i mean right now they're in second place above the bears because their record is better than ours uh for the moment so you know that that's the real question about the about our other division mates i think we know what we're dealing with with Green Bay, uh, in a sense, and you know we've already played the Vikings and took them head on, and 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 won the traditional home game against the Vikings like we always do, and we'll see if Week 17 means anything to either of these uh, teams at the end uh, of the year. So I mean, the NFC North is a pretty tough division uh, right now, and if not for the 49ers playing the way that they are, probably have um, a uh, a claim on the toughest division in football right now. Yeah, and it seems like the in generally the the weight of divisional strength in this in the NFL has really sort of shifted to you know some very very you know, a couple of very very strong divisions and some some very very bad ones and at least you know it's it's both fortunate and for, uh, and unfortunate for the Bears to find themselves in this division that's so strong that they, it, it it makes it a lot harder to to finish with a big record but at the same time you'll be pretty well tested if you make it through to the postseason and are ready for some big football games because you've already had quite a few of them on the schedule. Yeah, without a doubt. So so let's get back to our guys um, real quick. And, you know, we've, uh, we haven't quite talked about Mitch yet. We haven't seen him in a couple of weeks because he got hurt after about a handful of plays uh, in the Minnesota game. Week one was what it was, and that was, uh, that was a tough pill to swallow because it was supposed to be his coming out party uh, against Green Bay. Be, you know, as like everyone was kind of blowing off the struggles he had in the in training camp and, and things like that. But he's going against the number one defense in the league, guys. The coaches are telling him to make some of those throws that people are so critical of, to test himself throwing into triple coverage or double coverage or trying to beat, you know, Eddie Jackson or whatever down deep in the middle or something. Uh, like that he's going to be fine he's going to be fine when we get out there we start playing real games you know how can practice be tougher or how can the game be tougher than what he's facing day in and day out in practice it won't be he's going to go out there and he's going to kick ass and then instead he led a big fat egg week one against the Packers and I never like that the the all the 
analysis of throws in practice. I think it's it's just ridiculous. You know, when you start talking, when you really think about like what you're saying, it's like it's practice. Like yeah. it's, it's what he's working <laughs> on to be better. And it's just like. You know, you think back to Patrick Mahomes is sort of the example everybody goes to that, like, there were similar reports before Mahomes' first season as a starter that he was throwing a lot of interceptions, and that clearly wasn't uh, representative of what he was going to do in the regular season to follow. So, you know, I, I sort of threw a lot of that out, and, and I don't necessarily know that reporters see enough of practice to even have a good evaluation of his full days of throwing out there. So I, I tend to kind of throw that away and—, and but but it doesn't alleviate the concerns that we've seen in the regular season, right? <laughs> that this this is not uh, not the quarterback that we thought we were seeing, not a quarterback that's better than what we had seen last season. And now, the, the, how much does this injury set us ba- set him back? And and how much you know will there be a little bit of a, a reacclimation period with that? Will he be able to to throw and and have that same confidence, even though you know the left shoulder is going to be injured, it's still going to hurt. And and will he be a little bit less? Uh, inclined to hold on to the ball, less inclined to run and, and take hits. I mean, there's a lot of – it seems like the injury only just creates even more question marks about a quarterback where we were still asking a lot about. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was definitely thinking about that. I mean, to talk about, you know, the way that our offensive line has been moody when it comes to pass blocking, it's been it's going to become paramount when Mitch takes the field again because he's got a partially torn labrum that may or may not need surgery once the year is – over you know he's got the dislocated shoulder so they're going to be treating him like they did Anthony Miller uh last year only Mitch only needs the one arm to be able to throw the ball he doesn't need both like Anthony Miller did as a receiver but you know if if he's still taking hits that's going to hurt a hell of a lot more than it did before week four when he hurt his shoulder against the uh Vikings and like you said is that going to make him more hesitant will it make him gun shy will I mean he's certainly not going to I don't think be as uh, fearless when it comes to scrambling like he has uh, in the past, even though defenses seem to be doing a pretty decent job game planning for Mitch's legs uh, these days because he hasn't been running like he was uh, last year. But, you know, it's that's definitely going to be something to uh, consider. You know, how gun shy is that injury going to make him if, uh, you know, if it's not if it's not feeling 100 percent or if it's definitely not going to be 100 percent until the end of the year. But. You know how much of a factor will that be, and will the offensive line be able to improve so that it's not as much of a consideration? And I have some concerns that the injury will be particularly—I uh, don't know if "harmful" is the right word—but I just feel like a lot of what it seems wrong with Mitchell Trubisky has been in the mental and the processing side, and like yeah. thinking a little bit too much on some plays, and also trying to do a little bit too much on some plays. And I can't help but feel like. If I put myself in Mitchell Trubisky's shoes, which of course I have no idea what it's like to be a professional NFL quarterback, don't give me. I mean, take take this with many many grains of salt. But like, <laughs> if if I was trying to play quarterback with a, a left arm and shoulder that was in a lot of pain, that seems like the kind of thing that would be on my mind pretty much constantly when I'm holding the ball in the pocket. Maybe it's not the the thing you're you're thinking of, but you're you know whenever you make a decision, there's sort of this like I, I could I can envision there being this like extra hesitation this extra thought even if it's just like a quick second thing of like you know you let go of the ball with that left arm and just that twinge as you're trying to throw and you wonder like it just seems like it's another thing mentally to be on Mitchell Trubisky's plate when it seems like what he needs is as few things as possible on his plate to just relax play football kind of treat a little bit more like backyard football and not try and not try and do so much not try and make it into a big thing just 
just go out there and throw it to your teammates and, and having that left shoulder injury to me, it would seem like it's the kind of thing that makes that uh, objective even more difficult. Here's a thought. What if it helps him? You know, how so? Well, I mean, it, what if it does? I mean, you, you say you follow Brett Coleman and I'm sure you saw his video on Mitch Trubisky on YouTube. And one of the mm-hmm. big points that he made is that Mitch is way more effective when he appears to just shut his brain off and play football. What if he's thinking about the shoulder and not thinking about whether or not so-and-so is in the zone? Did I make the right drop? Did I make the right read? Things like that. And it's more about making something happen so he doesn't get hit. I can see, I can definitely see it both ways, right? I mean, I and, yeah. Well, I mean, I can definitely see it your way. I yeah, absolutely no, I can. It was like, but what if it goes the other way? And it's it's the thing that helps him shut off his mind about processing the play and just playing football and trying to get through the play in order to move on to the next one, avoid the hit, the contact, and stuff, so he doesn't have to feel that that pain in his shoulder for that particular down i mean you know obviously there's you know that's road color rose colored glasses version of that scenario but that's it's definitely possible that this in the end could could help him because he's got he's got to get rid of the football so he doesn't have time to think it's read and react boom the ball comes out or he's got to do what he's got to do to avoid the uh you know marcus davenport and everything from the from the saints and everything coming down on him uh and whatnot so i mean it's just another way to to look at it, and I guess it's the more optimistic view uh, as far as how the shoulder injury could affect him. And it feels like a, a psychological responsibility for Matt Nagy to try and make sure Mitchell Trubisky is in the right mindset. And mm. and I don't, you know, I don't know. When we talk about quarterback development and sort of the mental side of things, right? Like Matt Nagy is a a former quarterback himself and has worked with a lot of quarterbacks. And it seems like he and this coaching staff are very good at. The, the physical side of, of developing quarterbacks. There's been some track record of that before, and we've seen Chase Daniels and, and other or Chase Daniel and others, you know, step in and be able to play in this offense. So I, I wonder if, as much as they they know the X's and O's and the, the physical mechanics of quarterback, but I wonder how uh, qualified they are from a mental side because that's just not you know coaches aren't psychologists, they're not therapists. You know, they're they're trained in football, they're not trained in in this you know in sort of the 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 mental status of quarterbacks. So I'm curious sort of how they work that out and if they have the best tools to try and, you know, sit Mitchell Trubisky down and, and get him to think about the right things and, and not think about other things and just play football and not be focused too much on the plays. That's one of those sort of questions that we'll never quite know the answer to, but I've always been curious, separating the mental from the physical side of football. Yeah, it definitely is a uh, a pickle, that's for sure. You know, it's it's... <laughs> Because, you know, that's the, the one thing that we'll never know as far as, you know, how good of a quarterback psychologist is uh, is Nagy. You know, is is he more of an – I mean, everyone talks about the way that, that Nagy got in Mitch's face during the Washington game, and, and there's some debate as to if did he tell him to man up or did he tell him to shut the F up, which was it, you know, and then, you know, that kind of thing because his face was kind of, you know, obscured when all the fun stuff was coming out of his mouth. But I'm pretty sure he said F the, you know – F up, you know, man the F up or shut the F up. Which one was it uh, kind of thing? So I don't th- was, was that ever stated? Or I like, don't think so. Yeah, because I know that neither one of them denies that it happened or that it wasn't, you know, wasn't what that moment was. But no one's really clarified what he actually said. And it's a shame because, you know, there's an NFL films 
audio sound guy somewhere that has the exact <laughs> words mic'd up somewhere, but it's it's embargoed, it's hidden, it's it's locked right. away in some kind of vault. Exactly. So it is uh, interesting to see. You know, you know, will we be able to? Will Matt and Nagy be able to reach? Uh, Mitch, if that truly is the issue and he's just overthinking things, he's he's processing too much or in, in some ways not processing enough because he's still being criticized as being a one-read uh, quarterback. If that's not there, then all of a sudden he starts to panic and, and things like that. You don't see him really naturally going through the progressions in the allotted time uh, that he has and all uh, the fact that the offensive line hasn't been very good for him uh, so far this year hasn't helped matters at all because that maybe speeds up the clock and he's rushing when he doesn't need to be. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's never going to be it, it, we'll never know exactly, right? And, yeah. and it's never it's never as simple as as one quick fix there, but we 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 do our best on the outside to try and hammer down what we think it is, but boy, that that's what makes it that like that's what makes it so intriguing, that's what makes it so fun and exciting, right? I mean, that's why we love football and and and, Mm. you know this quarterback and this team right because it's it's exciting to sort of like try and figure out the the real like that's the real million dollar mystery about this bears team and the difference you know but really the difference between the super bowl team and uh, a first round playoff loss yeah 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 so we got 11 games left lauren we've already talked about the first three games or the first five because we got we got the saints we got the chargers we got the eagles on the road then we're home for Detroit, then on the road at the Rams, uh, Sunday night football. And then then we're, we're doing the back-to-back Thursday thing with the Lions on Thanksgiving Day and then the Thursday night football against the Cowboys. That's an interesting one I'm looking forward to. We got the Packers again. We got the Lions again. In our, actually, we only played the Lions twice, not three times. But, uh, you know, we got the Packers, and then we close out with the Vikings and the, the Chiefs on Sunday night football. Uh, week 16 it just looks like we're not going to get a break so you know the, the break was the first five games and we haven't played that well will we be able <laughs> to snap it to snap out of it and and step up and be able to meet the challenges that we have ahead of us yeah the one thing about the the, the schedule is as much as all of those teams have looked good I mean maybe the Giants have been the the one exception but the majority of the remaining teams have looked very formidable but at the same time Almost all of those teams have also had games where they looked really bad. And, yeah. and none of these teams, outside of the Chiefs, which are, are legitimately very – I mean, they've had their their downs, but they're still 4-1 and one, and, and one of the best teams in football. You know, all of those teams week to week have fluctuated quite a bit, as have the Bears. So there's, there's some of that hope that, like, you know, they looked really hard on paper entering the season. They still look pretty difficult on paper right now, but – depending on which, you know, like we already talked about with the Chargers and the Eagles and the Lions, but even, you know, which Rams team you're going to get, which Cowboys team you're going to get, which yeah. Packers and which Vikings teams you're going to get. There's there's a lot of – you could see the Bears really struggling and, and going 500 to finish the rest of the season if, if all of those teams are at their best when they play the Bears and if the Bears can't get things going great. Or, you know, you could see the Bears go on a long run if the Lions fall off like we talked about and the Rams continue to struggle and, the you know, the Packers kind of come back down a little bit and – you know, all those different teams that we've seen lose games that maybe they shouldn't have. There, there's no reason the Bears can't also be those games. So that it's 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 one of the more harder Bears seasons to predict, right? Yeah, like you could sure. you could look back you could look back to last year and it's like you you could kind of feel like they were going to beat the Jets and they were going to beat the Bills and they were probably going to beat the Lions both times and at least split them with the Vikings and you thought they were going to beat the Giants too. But a, a lot of those games. <laughs> 
for the majority of those games in that win streak, it felt like, oh, these are very winnable games for the Chicago Bears once they got out of the funk against the Patriots and the Dolphins. Whereas this year, it's like, I don't know what the heck's going to happen in a lot of these. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what's that's what I think is is so disappointing going into the bye. And I don't that I don't know that we'd feel much different had the Bears won against Oakland and were four and one going into the bye instead of three and two because we would still have had that first half against Oakland to consider as far as like you know this is how they played those first two quarters and Lauren I don't know if you listened to the show this week but if not for my podcast I would have bailed on the game there was no way (laughs) I was going to subject myself to two more quarters of that I just I don't I couldn't have been able I wouldn't have been doing I'd have I'd have gone out to see the Joker you know I haven't seen that one yet I was saving it I would have gone to see it during the second half of the game, there's no way I'm going to stomach this. That's how bad that first half of football was. It felt like you were watching the Joker on oh, the field sure. in the yeah. first half. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it was it was a nightmare. It was awkward. It wasn't, you know, it's like, what is this? I don't want to watch this. And, yeah, it was definitely uh, definitely not good. And, it, it, uh, it feels like we're talking about the worst three and two team in NFL history. You know what I mean? Like it's like, even if the, even if the bears had beaten the Raiders and were four and one, we'd still be feeling bad about this four and one team because it's like, it's how they've won. Yeah. You know, they barely squeaked one out against Denver, you know, Minnesota kind of crapped the bed and even that wasn't always pretty. And then Washington was one of the worst teams in football. So it's like, you don't feel good about any of them, even though, they're three and two. They're in a good spot, and they they yeah. very well could be four and one, and in an even even better spot. We still wouldn't feel that much better at four and one in first place in the <laughs> NFC North. That's, and that's the thing. That is the thing. You know, when you and I talked back in in uh, in July or August, right before, right at the end of training camp, and we sat down and we evaluated this team and we talked about it, and we were like, yeah, at the end of the bye week, four and one, maybe three and two. You know, but I didn't think that we expected the team to look the way that it did. You know, I just thought that me like, well, you know, maybe that that Fangio game, that one's going to be tough. He knows us better than anybody. Blah, blah, blah. He's got Chubb and, and, uh, you know, Chubb and Miller over there. And, you know, that's he's going to be doing things and uh, what have you. And, you know, maybe that Vikings game. I don't know. Something about that Vikings game is like that's probably where maybe that second loss comes from and blah, blah, blah. But instead it was. You know, you don't really feel that good about any of the three wins that we have, and we feel terrible about the losses uh, that we've had so far because we should have won week one against Green Bay. And, you know, the Raiders definitely deserve to win on Sunday, but we probably should have won that one too. Like, we we should be 5-0 and right now. We'd still be pissed off about a 5-0 and team with the way <laughs> that it's played. I mean, it's it's all about what's being done on the field because, you know, think about the time when we when we had Fox – after that three and thirteen season, we're going into twenty seventeen. It's like it. I don't know how I feel about six and ten because it all depends on how we look playing. You know, in in those six wins, or more importantly, in those ten losses, did we get laughed off the field? Did we get smacked around or anything like that? Or were we competitive down to the last minute? And you know, it was the 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 gap in talent is what won our opponent the game. That kind of thing. It's very much that same way now. It's like we, we've got one of the better rosters in football, or, or so we thought coming into this season. We do have a winning record, but you know we don't feel good about where we are because the potential that this roster has, they haven't even eclipsed it yet. They're nowhere close to it at this point. Which should be 
an encouraging thing. It, yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't You're feel right. like it. Yeah. But it, it should be. Like it should be. Like this is this team is about win win loss record, not that far from where we expected when we thought this team was going to be really, really good. So the yeah. fact that they're still pretty much at at about the same spot and they haven't been really, really good tells you that there's there's room for improvement for a team that's already in a pretty good spot. So it, it should be a good thing. And, and for some reason, I don't know if it's just sort of conditioned in us from having followed this Bears team over many years of just you, you're waiting for it to kind of fall apart or you're waiting for the success to not quite be as legitimate as you think. And, and maybe we should have learned a little bit more from last year and trusted. But even you feel like, well, they won, you know, what was it, nine or ten out of their last 11 games, mm-hmm. you know, over that stretch. You, you, maybe you don't quite trust that even though it, it already happened. I, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's it feels like it's it's connected to the history of the franchise more than anything. I'll tell you what, man. If if we if the rest of this year doesn't go well, uh, Cody Parkey better watch his back. You know, that's all I'm saying. He, he's know. got a job. now. He's got a least. job. He's a Tennessee Titan now. Unbelievable. But uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's the. I mean, you and I have talked about this. We talked about it on our on the you know the year or the the preseason review or preview uh, show. A lot of things cost us that game against Philly, but it all came down to that one kick and we could have won the game and we didn't because of him. And, you know, he was the difference between the Bears going home early and going on a serious, serious run in the NFC after that. And if we fall flat this year and don't even make the playoffs, that makes that Eagles loss sting even more. And who would have thought that coming into the year? It's just it's crazy. You didn't even realize it at the time, the, the implications of that. With When you talk about the championship window and how yeah. many opportunities you're going to have a team in that position and how hard it is to repeat at a high level of success every season in the NFL, I mean, they they got to they gotta find a way to, to figure this out because there's expectations are higher this season for good reason. And if, if they don't meet those expectations, something went wrong and somebody – there needs to be some accountability somewhere. You think that's maybe why that on social media and you know Twitter, Facebook, and such that we have so many idiotic armchair GMs out there? Like some of the things that like they're just in panic mode, and we, we got to do something because we have this we have this defense, we have these guys, we have these players. We, we, we get rid of the quarterback. Start Tyler Bray. Did you see that on NBC oh, yeah. Sports? Start seventy one percent of the vote. Lauren, are you kidding me? 71% start Tyler Bray. <laughs> he got cut today, by the way. Well, the yeah. cut him so that we could re-sign Bradley Soul for the fifth time and have our, <laughs> have our five tight ends on the roster uh, once again. But there's your answer to your 71% Chicago. He's been cut, and hopefully we'll be able to re-sign him to the practice squad tomorrow when the 24 hours uh, is up. But, I mean, do you think maybe that's why? Because... We are in this championship window. I mean, where it is an absolutely realistic thing that the Bears can make a championship run if we get this thing figured out. Yeah, I do think that's there's that pressure, right? And I think the Bears have put some of it on themselves, sure, not only with sure. the success they had last year, but all of the sort of hype this offseason of Trubisky and you know two hundred two version of the one hundred one offense he right. was in last year, and you know, I, and it, with just sort of the the age and construction of this team, the fact that the defense is championship ready, and that sort of the the upgrades that they did make on offense around the quarterback, you know, adding to that running back position and continuing to sort of bolster the wide receiver core with some more depth in there, like it feels like everything is the same or better on paper 
on this team compared to last season. So all of a sudden when it's not, you kind of have to look to the things that, that didn't change and the things that aren't better from last season. And then quarterback is there. And I don't know, you see that great preseason game Tyler Bray had? There you <laughs> Dude, don't get me. I mean, I tried to talk people off the ledge during the preseason because people were so critical of Chase Daniel and how he played. And then Tyler Bray would come out against the threes and the fours and complete a pass or two. And we should cut Daniel and keep Tyler Bray as the backup. It's like, guys, come on. Okay. Number one, Tyler Bray is playing, or excuse me, Chase Daniel is playing with the second offensive unit out there. None of the starters are out there with him. And those guys are going up against our opponent's starters because everybody we played started their number one guys against us so of course those guys are going to struggle against the starters so that's why chase daniel is constantly under fire that he's making uh you know bad throws or you know getting beat up and blah 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 then tyler bray's coming out with the third string offense going up against three and four guys and that's why he's having more success just open your eyes and look at what's actually happening as opposed to condemning Daniel because he's under fire playing against higher level talent and so, you know th- but it just drove me nuts during the preseason hearing this Tyler like people were absolutely actually upset when Chase Daniel made the team and Tyler Bray didn't so here, here's what I'll throw at you you have to you have to either start Tyler Bray trade for Nick Foles or trade for Josh Rosen <laughs> or <laughs> Eli Manning don't forget or Eli Manning oh don't forget Eli Manning pick pick your poison Larry yeah yeah, and, and we want to trade with, with assets we don't have because I can't tell you how many times on Twitter I've seen people say, we'll trade our third rounder in 2020 for, for Josh Rosen. Yeah, we did that already. It's Khalil Mack is our third rounder in 2020. We gave that one to Oakland already. We can't trade with something we don't have. It'd be awesome if the Bears could figure out how to do that, but it's not possible. We've already given up our third rounder. His name is Khalil Mack. It, it's like this this team should be ready as is to win a championship and yes. if you're i mean it's just it's it's frustrating i think that's that's where the frustration kind of boils down to right yeah. there is like they shouldn't need to make a quarterback change they shouldn't need to do anything drastic they should be able to just be a better football team because we've seen this collection of almost this almost the same 53 players i mean pretty darn close to the same 22 starters really be close. a better football team so if they can just get their stuff together they should be fine, and yet here we are. Yep, here we are, and we couldn't be more confused as to what's actually going to happen over the next uh, eleven weeks. You know, we had a much more fun conversation a year ago at this time, Lauren. After the first four weeks, we're like, "Damn, three fifty and six touchdowns against the Bucks, boy! The Bears are on their way. The defense is playing lights out. Khalil Mack is strip sacking everybody. John Gruden looks like an asshole, and everything like that. I mean, come on." We're on our way, baby. Three and one. This is going to get done. But here we are. Fast forward a year. John Gruden beat us in in the UK on the road. So take that for what you will. But we lost to Green Bay to start the year at home on national TV. That's fun. And we've had three good yet unimpressive victories in that in that five week span. And even though we're thir- three and two, even though we're right in the thick of things, and we're probably going to get a lot of guys healthy back. Uh, in, in you know next week when we play the Saints, <sighs> boy, I mean, it's night and day compared to where we were a year ago at this time uh, during during the bye. So, I mean, it's just – I think that's also the other thing that's so frustrating is that everything is is good, and yet we don't feel good about any of it. 
And with that feeling we had last year in the buy and some optimism and some excitement, I recall you being particularly frustrated with how the team came out of the buy. Obviously, everybody oh. was frustrated with with two straight losses. But like, it, it's funny how that worked, right? It, yeah. Everything was going up, and then bye week it was sort of like half of their losses back to back, and and two pretty difficult to watch when it was all said and done. With in terms of frustration and feeling like the Bears kind of gave away some games and, and lost some, in some opportunities that they maybe shouldn't have. And it, it makes me wonder what's what's coming, that maybe maybe we aren't through the worst yet, that maybe, it, you know, for whatever reason, the bye week wasn't the turning point for the Bears last season. It was after the bye week, after yeah. a couple of losses. So I, I don't even know what to expect coming out. And, you know, add the, the injuries and all the things we've been talking about. There's, it's a weird season and a weird place to be right now. <laughs> and this was the year that we've been looking forward to so much, this was the year we were all certain that we're going to be celebrating in February on Papa Bear's birthday, you know, in Miami, uh, you know, finishing the 100th season, 34 years since we won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54, uh, you know, all of those things where it's like the numerology just lines up that it's just meant for us to actually be the team of destiny this year, and we don't even look like the team of the moment right now. So it's, uh, you know, and despite this all, guys, we're Bear fans. Despite this conversation, we are actually Bear fans that support the team and love them and want them to succeed and cautiously optimistic about what could happen over the next 11 weeks. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, right? There's there is there's reasons to kind of see things going both directions, and, and that's what's fun. That's what's exciting, and I think that's what we're both looking forward to. Just I think this is what makes the NFL football season so fun. It's so unpredictable, and it, it's not good for the blood pressure, but it's <laughs> it's worth it. It definitely is. And, you know, we're the lucky ones, you and I, because we have this platform. We have the podcasts to vent our frustrations or to get our theories and our thoughts and everything out there. I feel sorry for all those poor bastards out there who don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, you know, it's like I get out here, I scream and piss and venom in, into the microphone for about, you know, 20, 30 minutes and I feel better. Uh, my, my listeners are entertained. And then we just move on to the next one. You know, I I don't know what what anybody else does that that doesn't have this this outlet. You know, yeah, it's it's always therapeutic and <laughs> a good time, and especially in, in a season like this, like you said. So I, uh, it's it's always it's always a blast, and I look forward to it every year. Absolutely. So, Lauren, uh, where do you see? What do you see? You know, let's 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 put our our uh, let's pull out the crystal ball and our wizard hats and 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 look forward here. We have a daunting schedule ahead of us, but as you say, they've, our, our future opponents have looked formidable and yet beatable all at the same time. So what do you think? I, I struggle with this because, like, because it's so hard to predict, and I, and I don't want to give like a cop-out answer, but I, 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 I kind of foresee you know, uh, a 10-6 type finish. Yeah. And you know, that probably leaves you tied – for first or second place in the division and then i think it it comes down to tiebreakers and you know i so whether and i don't even know at this point who they're going to be tied with but it doesn't feel like anybody in the nfc north is going to be better than 11 and 5 and you might not have anybody worse than 9 and 7 so it's going to be really really tight and i think it's going to mean all these divisional matchups mean quite a bit more so both lions games that are left and the vikings and packers game in particular those are going to be even more critical than they are in, in typical years. Because usually, even if you lose the Lions game, that's not a tie, that's not a playoff tiebreaker that comes into the, the, the factor. But 
it, it possibly could this year. So, like I said, I'm feeling I, I don't know if 10 and six in this division and in this conference. I, I could see them missing the playoffs at 10 and six, depending on how things fall. That if like the Packers are 11 and five and the Vikings and Bears are 10 and six and the Vikings have a tiebreaker or something, it, it would certainly be a huge disappointment. But it's not like a 10 and six season was all that bad. It just kind of you know. So I I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I, I'm thinking something in that range. I'm thinking the fact that the the AFC or the NFC South is barely going to send a division winner to the playoffs this year might actually help us. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to see how the NFC West is going to shake out because right now you have you, you the, the 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 team with the third best record in that division is the Rams at three and two. The Seahawks are four and one. the The Forty ers are four and zero. Oh. I don't know if they're contenders or pretenders yet. They also haven't really played anyone up to this point and you know the nfc east it's the cowboys and the uh and the eagles right now so which one of them will will still be standing will they both make it like they did last year or will one of them uh emerge and the nfc north is going to be a straight up dogfight throughout if the lions are for real so yeah 10 and 6 sounds right about sounds just about right uh to me you know going into going through this uh, a thing I want to play the more optimistic side and say 11 and five like you know we get that win in Lambeau uh, against the Green Bay Packers and you know later on and maybe we sneak one out against the against the Chiefs who are maybe looking forward to the playoffs and what could be a meaningless game for them because nobody in the AFC West is going to catch them this year <laughs> now they might have that thing wrapped up by week 13 the way things are going on in that division at the moment so you know it's like I know the Raiders are three and two I just don't see them being a threat further on down the road so uh yeah i don't know we'll uh we'll see i i i'm i'm on board with you if if i had to put my money on it 10 and 6 feels like the best bet yeah it's it's within reason it's you know with seven wins and and four more losses it's it's you know you're still looking up it's a team that's gonna have to be they're gonna have to be better than they are now if they want to sure. finish 10 oh, and yeah. 6 right that's that's what we're projecting in looking forward but with the, that strength of schedule still remaining and with some of the question marks still lingering, it just feels like you can't go too much higher than that. But you also, you know, this team is good is, is good enough and has that defense and has so much talent that you're not going to go, you know, anywhere close to five. You know, you're not going to sit at 500 or anything like no. that either. No, no. I mean, I, I think that that the defense is what makes us 10 and six. You know, if we had a middle yeah, of the this, road or mediocre defense, then I'm probably looking at eight and eight, seven and nine. But that defense the way it played the first four weeks and it still had a couple of flashes and a very bad day against the Raiders week five, we're still capable of things. And Lauren, the one thing we haven't talked about was the big question mark throughout the season was, was the kicking situation. We have a kicker. So, I mean, maybe there's a situation where we're going to have a kicker that won't let us down like Cody Parkey did a couple of times in, in 2018. So, I mean, he's already won us one game in uh in denver how amazing a moment that was but uh you know like i i i sleep well knowing that eddie pinero is our kicker that guy's a gamer man he puts it through the uprights and he's eight for nine and he hasn't missed an extra point yet yeah that's got to be the biggest miracle of the off season and yeah. end of the regular season i mean it, <laughs> somehow some way they pulled every rabbit out of the hat every trick in the book to try and find a kicker and were and criticized I, every step of the way for it too and and I don't even know if this result justifies the process. I mean, you, you could just as easily say they got lucky, but sure. they just happened to end up with because like with all the different ways that like they almost traded for Kari Vedvik and right. they only got Eddie Pinero because the Raiders 
signed the the Vikings former kicker and you know there's a lot and then the Vikings traded for Kari Vedvik so the Vikings you know so the Bears wouldn't trade for Vedvik you know there's all these different things that had to go right for them to end up with Eddie Pinero as their kicker and I I am not complaining yeah <laughs> not a not a bit yeah in a lot of ways it seems like we settled for Eddie Pinero and that's been the one thing that has worked better than anything else so far uh, this year you know obviously the defense. I can't say enough about the defense. Kudos to Pagano and the job that he's done. I mean, the transition has been seamless from him, from Fangio to him uh, this year. And as most great defenses, you do have an off day. Hell, even the 85 Bears got their asses kicked one night, you know, back in that magical uh, season. So hopefully this is just the one thumping that our defense is going to take and they'll be back to their old menacing, unstoppable selves uh, the rest of the way. And that's what we can count on 10, 11, 12 wins by the end of the season. Would you believe me three months ago if I had told you that through five games this season, the one really position group as a whole that's been the most reliable has been special teams, even more reliable than the defense that had special teams has been five for five in these games so far and defense only four of the five games. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's mind boggling. It really is. So, (laughs) all right, Lauren, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I've talked your ear off. You've talked off mine and uh, tell everyone where you can talk them off by yourselves. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think talking each other's ears off means you, you did a good podcast. Yes, so that's absolutely. A, that's a, what I meant. It's a good side. Yes. But yeah, if you want to hear more from me, I, I do the Lockdown Bears podcast five days a week, uh, and I'm on Twitter at Cox Sports One. All right. Lauren Cox, Locked On Bears, and everything else that he does outside of that. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you again real soon. Hey, anytime. Remember, guys, get uh, double your first deposit at mybookie.ag by using the promo code CHAIR. Use the promo code CHAIR to double your offer. Start with 200, now you're playing with four. Throw in three, now you're playing with six. At mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. And uh, what a great conversation, man. Love talking to Lauren. Love having him on the show. Love talking Bears uh, with him. And we covered plenty of other things. I mean, we talked for... I don't know what, like a buck twenty. We covered quite a bit, and um, the only thing that I want to put or that I want to talk about before I go is uh, we mentioned before the Matt Nagy era and the the deficit in each game that we've lost being no more than a touchdown. The Patriots being the champion of that particular uh, m- margin of uh, of vic. Well, actually, I think the Packers tied them with ten to three. So, but uh, you know. Seven points is the largest margin of defeat that we've suffered under the Nagy uh, era. And, uh, you know, when I when I saw that information, I retweeted it and said, you know, this is a, uh, you know, my least favorite thing and my favorite thing about the Nagy era because, A, we're in absolutely every game, so we have a chance to win them all. And, B, the losses sting a little bit more because it's usually one bounce of the ball this way or that way that costs us the victory or a penalty here, that kind of thing, kind of like in the Raider game. The Kevin Pierre-Lewis uh, penalty, you know, gave the ball back to the Raiders and they carried the momentum into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown and so on. The Cody Parkey field goal against Miami, the dropped interception by Kyle Fuller in the week one against Green Bay last year, those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, the only other thing I wanted to add to that was, you know, as a football player, you know, I only, 
I was a, only a red shirt in college, so I never played a game myself. But in my high school years, my junior and senior year both finished in extremes. And here's the thing. My junior year, we were, it's the best record in school history. It still stands today. Uh, we have them. We've tied for the most victories in school history. We made it further into the playoffs than anyone else ever has uh, in our school history. Those are records that stand 25 years later. It was 1994 was when that happened. And the game that we lost was to the eventual state champions, so we had that. But uh, they beat us 45-15. to 15. And as tough as it was to get beat like that, it was far more well, – before actually, hold on. We lost that one 45 to 15. Fast forward a year later, my senior season, um, we're in the second round of the playoffs. We won our first round playoff game. We're playing one of our conference rivals in, uh, in the second round of the playoffs. We're on their field. We lost the play. We lost the game 27 to 25 when we couldn't. We scored a touchdown with about 30 seconds left in the game. We're down by two. We go for two, and we don't get it. So... You know, we tried to do the onside thing and, and all that kind of stuff. It didn't work out. So essentially, that was the last play of the game for us. And that game still keeps me up at night. <laughs> that one still stings. I would much rather lose the way that we did the year before to the eventual state champs because then I just know I can sleep at night knowing that I got beat. They were the better team. They went on to win the championship. It was their day. Like, if you play and we play those guys 10 times, Maybe we win, you know, like we, we could probably split the series. They go five and five. You know, we have a good day. They have a good, bad, good day, so on and so forth. Very evenly matched teams, and they just had our number that day. I can sleep so much better losing like that than I can gut-wrenchingly losing the one that we lost my senior year. You know, I mean, I know that it sucks. It was my senior year, so it's basically the last football game I ever played, and there's that. But when it comes down to it, it's like – you know, the competitor in me, obviously, I would rather be in the situation that I was my senior year where I've still got a chance to win coming right down to the wire. But for the sake of my personal sanity and everything like that, I would much rather lose the way that I did my junior year when we lost by nearly 30 points in that semifinal game than I would uh, the, on the final play of the game, you know, it's just one of those things. It's one of those games because quarterback threw four interceptions. We had two extra points blocked. So if we get the if those extra points go through, then we're trying to kick an extra point to take the lead with 36 seconds to go, not trying to play for a tie and send it to overtime where I have and that's the other thing. I have no doubt we win the game in overtime. None whatsoever. We would have had all the momentum. We would have ripped their hearts out on their home field. We win the game in overtime, I have no doubt. But we'll never know because we never got there. We, we, we died there on the field at the two-yard line when we got stuffed at the goal line for the, uh, you know. And I also, every night, you know, anytime that I dream about that play, I see my running back run, you know, across the goal line. I, it still looks like he made it to me from where I was. I was the left tackle, and they were, they were sweeping to the right. I swear to God, he made it. Referees didn't see it that way. There's no replay in high school football. We lose the game. So, yeah, the uh, the competitor in me wants to have that chance to go right down to the wire and have a chance to win. But for the sake of my own personal sanity, I would much rather lose the way that I did my junior year. 
you know those are, that's that's those are the the immediate thoughts that came up when it comes to that type of situation and the competitor in me wants the bears in every single game right down to the wire because we've won more than we've lost in those situations we come out on top we're the victors and but you know for the sake of my sanity and the fact that I don't want to be thinking about the double doink or that ball that hit Kyle Fuller in the bread basket and he didn't come down with it or the 53-yard field goal in overtime against Miami that was just wide right that would have won us the game and, and things like that. That's the kind of stuff that makes me nuts. And you even heard me mention it when I was talking to Lauren. If, if, we, if Kyle Fuller comes up with that interception or Cody Parkey makes that field goal, that's 13-3 and three, and that's a bye week. We're sitting at home waiting for the winner of a game instead of having to play into the divisional round and not making it like we did last year. Two little plays, not so much won us a game, but would have changed the outcome of our season. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that'll make you crazy. And with the way that this year is going so far and it's not necessarily going our way and, uh, and what have you, it's going to make 2018 sting even worse because that's how close we were. And, you know, we missed our shot because of a kicker or because of a dropped interception or a kicker and, (laughs) you know, things like that. So that's basically the button I wanted to put on this thing. And uh, that's going to do it for this bi-week review. Again, want to thank Lauren Cox. Be sure and follow him on Twitter at Cox Sports One. You can also hear his show Locked on Bears. You can subscribe to that on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else uh, you get podcasts. And uh, follow me on Twitter at BTU underscore uh, Larry, join the Facebook group. Just search uh, Bears Talk Underground on uh, Facebook and, and, and join up and uh, engage, you know, join the conversation. Let's have some, uh, let's talk and, and things like that. Just don't tell me you want Tyler Bray to start. Just don't tell me that. I'll, I'll hunt you down and I'll stab you to death in your sleep because, yeah, it'll be peaceful. It'll be painful, but it'll be, you know, a peaceful way to go. I promise. It, I, I, you won't feel a thing, actually. That's just how it'll go, so. Anyway, that's going to do it. Come back next Friday. Actually, I got nothing. You know, I was hoping to get a guest lined up for for earlier this uh, for the early in the week to kind of where the where the review show would go. But unfortunately, I got nothing. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Maybe I'll be able to throw something together at the last minute. But as of right now, uh, next Friday for the week seven preview is the next time that we will talk to each other, guys. So, uh, you know, like I said, follow me on Twitter. Hit me up. And, uh, you know, we'll see you next Friday. Our good friend Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints will be there to uh, preview week number seven between the Bears and the Saints. See if they can improve on their performance against A, against the Raiders, and B, coming off the bye. Because last year, bye weeks were not good to us uh, last year. You know, the, the actual bye, we losing that game to Miami, and the, the quote-unquote mini-bye after Thanksgiving, we lose a game to the Giants. So... The only difference there is that both of those games are on the road and we're at home against the Saints on Sunday. So maybe that's what will help us out. So anyway, come on back next week for the Week 7 preview with myself and Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. Until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.